Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. My name is Amy. Thank you so much for joining in person. And to those of you joining online, we're especially glad that you chose to participate in this morning together. Um, And I echo what Josh said there. It's really cool that we're all here. I think that's really great. Um, I am stepping into being a part of the teaching team. And I do want to take a minute um, to acknowledge how much I truly love being a member of this community. If this is your first time here, you're a little bit new to this space or faith in general and you have some questions, um, this is truly a safe place and that has been our experience as a family and we so, so enjoy being a part of this community and it has become home for us. So my hope and prayer is that that is your sense in being here as well. Um, As previously mentioned, we are in our summer series called Practicing Wisdom based on the book of Proverbs. And I really hope that you took our lead pastor Ron's challenge for the summer to read through the book of Proverbs doing a chapter a day. So there's 31 books. Keep it pretty easy and straightforward if you're unsure what chapter you're on. You just look at the date. Okay, 17th, we're on that one. Um, And read through that. And then when you finish at the end of this month, start all over again in August. So by the time that the summer's over, you've read it twice. You probably have it memorized and you're an expert in wisdom. So today, as mentioned also, we are going to be talking about loving wisdom and the way we practice, or sorry, loving discipline in practicing wisdom. And you know, when um, it was mentioned earlier and Ray was introducing that I could just feel the hype. I could feel you guys all excited, leaning forward and pumped to hear about discipline. But no, probably more realistically, when Ray said it or when I just said it now, that word discipline or even correction brings up a lot of uncomfortable feelings, right? Um, you think, we think of pain and discomfort. and Because in the cultural context we live in today, we have exchanged words like correction or discipline for phrases like, you do you, you've got this, live your own truth, don't let anyone tell you what you can do, and don't let anyone judge you for it. Because we want to live life on our own terms, We want to do whatever feels good or right to us and, you know, to hell with the consequences. And we avoid pain and discomfort like the plague. And we're always seeking for that quickest, shortest means to an end, seeking instant gratification, even if it's just temporary. I think about someone posting their um, weight loss or health and fitness journey on uh, social media. And you'll have this before and after picture of when they started and how they're doing. And the comments will be filled with people being like, yeah, good for you and encouraging them and looks great. And you'll also have some comments like, hey, what's your secret? What have you been doing? What's been working so well for you? Because we're all hoping for that, you know, special sauce, that skinny tea that's, you know, all I do is drink this in the morning and I lose 10 pounds in three days. Because we're really hoping that answer isn't a disciplined lifestyle change of healthy eating and exercise, right? Because we desire that goal without the painful process. I heard some laughing, so I guess it's not just me in the room feeling that. But as followers of Jesus, we're called to be wise in the way that we live. And a big part of that is by practicing God's wisdom through his discipline. I want to start by reading Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1 together, and it says this. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. 
but he who hates reproof is stupid. Now, this is a short one, so I'm going to read one more time. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Now, my kids are sitting here in the room, and they're giggling because they're like, oh, mom said the S word. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. But the author Solomon, who was the third king of Israel, is the writer of this, and he was actually gifted with incredible supernatural wisdom from God. And he wasn't kidding around on this, and there's no sugarcoating this. If I love knowledge, which I do think I do, I will love discipline. And if I hate reproof, or in other words, correction, I'm stupid. It wasn't, see, they're still laughing up there. So it wasn't too long ago that I read this verse, which actually I'd read many times before, but this time it hit differently. It landed different. It was like a punch to the gut as I read this. And this is what the Holy Spirit does to me sometimes, and it's actually an example of God's discipline in that moment. Because I read this and I thought, love discipline. Yeah, I don't even like discipline, let alone love it. And correction, yeah, I'm not a fan of that either. And maybe you feel this way too. But this verse is very, very clear. If I'm going to love knowledge, especially knowledge about God, I'm going to love discipline. And dislike and correction isn't wise for my life. So this simple verse, as I thought about this and my heart was convicted by it, it brought up a lot of questions for me, and maybe it does for you too. For example, why do these words, discipline and correction, create such a negative response inside of me? What does the correction and discipline of God even look like in my life? And what are the purpose of these things? So I want to unpack a few of these questions today. And admittedly, I do not have all the answers. I don't claim to. But my hope and prayer is that by the time we leave here or you end online, that we would have maybe a heart change about God's discipline in our lives and what it means for us. So I'm going to jump right in with that why question. Tackle why this verse may make us cringe or uncomfortable when we read it. As I was thinking about this for myself and about us as a community, I thought maybe the biggest reason why we don't like these words is that there is a level of distrust in our hearts towards the person who's doing the disciplining. Because we all understand this. We live in a time where we just simply don't trust one another anymore, right? In your workplace, if you don't trust your boss, that they have the best intentions for you, you will struggle to follow their instructions and you'll have a hard time adhering to any correction. We don't trust church anymore sometimes. Politicians, leaders, even the person driving in the car next to me, I don't trust them they're not going to cut me off when they just decide they're going to turn. So the question really is, do we trust God? Because I think about it, and I think that how we view God is undoubtedly going to affect how we view discipline and correction in our lives, especially God's discipline. Because we're quick to talk and sing about God's love for us. And some can even argue, how could such a loving God judge me or discipline me? You know, he loves me. And while, yes, God is love, And truly, there is no other love like his love. He is first and foremost holy. Isaiah was a prophet of God in the Old Testament, and simply meaning God used Isaiah to speak to the people. 
At that time, the people of Israel, which were God's chosen people, did not yet have direct access to God like we experience now, thanks to the death and resurrection of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 6, he writes about this vision that he has of the temple of God and God seated on the throne. And there are these angelic beings there saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, anything repeated three times, especially in my household, if I have to repeat it three times, take note. But notice here they weren't saying love, 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 or good, 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 all things that, yes, describe God. They defined and praised God very first as holy. So what does it mean when we say God is holy? Holiness is often described as being set apart. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it as this. Worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. So when we say God is holy, we're recognizing him as worthy of being worthy of complete devotion because he is absolutely perfect and righteous. And I want to take a minute to go a little deeper here about that nature of God's holy character. And I want to understand it in a couple ways this morning. In one being God is morally perfect. Within his holiness, he is morally perfect. And also that God is transcendent. And I know I use that word in kind of a big theological sounding word. So just hang in with me as we unpack this together. So first I want to address God is morally perfect. First John chapter 1 verse 5 says it like this. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I love the way Stephen Sharnock explains this. It is not a defect in God that he cannot do evil, but rather a fullness and excellency of power as it is not as weakness in the light, but in the perfection of it, that it is unable to produce darkness. God is so perfect, he cannot sin. And that's not a shortcoming of God, but rather speaks to his perfect, moral, excellent character as this sinless, perfect being. Because, you know, good doesn't just describe God. God defines what is good. Psalm 145, verse 7 says it this way. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. So out of his moral character comes his sovereignty, loving, his loving kindness, and not because you and I are the one receiving it deserves it, but rather that's just the morally perfect upstanding guy that he is. And circling back to Isaiah's vision of coming face to face with God and his holiness, his response here is, woe is me. Because when we're faced with God's moral perfection, despite how good we may think we are, our flawed moral character is brought into the light and his holiness exposes our shortcomings. And so the second piece here, God is transcendent. Now this fancy word transcendent can be simply defined as this, being beyond comprehension. Because God's existence is far beyond anything that we could even grasp, imagine, or understand. Because no one created God. The book of Genesis begins by saying, in the beginning, God created. Revelations chapter 1 verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who is to come, and who, sorry, who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Because there's nothing before him. Nothing. And there'll be nothing after him. In and through him, everything exists. Nothing can compare to him. 
Now, there's a beautiful image of God's transcendence in the Bible where he reveals himself to Moses, who Josh was talking about earlier. And now I'm not talking about the mountaintop experience here. I'm talking about this first encounter where God speaks to Moses. And it happens out of this burning bush. Moses encounters this burning bush. Now, it's summer. We all love a good campfire, so that seems, okay, cool. There was a burning bush as he was tending to the sheep, but there was something different about this bush. He took note that this bush did not burn up. This speaks to God in how he existed in that fire, separate from the fuel. We all know that we need fuel to make a fire, right? You need the right kind of camp, campfire wood. You need the right materials in order to bring ignition and to have that glowing fire that we love to enjoy. But this bush didn't, didn't burn up. So it wasn't necessary for God in his presence for that fuel to exist. He existed outside of it. God created time and space, and as creator, he exists outside of all of it. Now, I love how Jackie Hill Perry, in her book, Holier Than Now, explains why his transcendence matters. She says, as God, he is not dependent on his creation to do anything. In fact, he's distinct from it, and therefore, he can never be controlled, challenged, or intimidated by it. So when we see God as holy, when we see him as transcendent, he is the one that defines everything. He defines that standard and he is unaffected by the shift and change in the culture and creation. He is truly the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if God is these things, if he's holy, morally perfect, and transcendent, shouldn't that actually make him the most trustworthy being there is? He cannot sin against you. He cannot be influenced or changed by anybody else outside of himself. And he simply cannot make a mistake. And so maybe you're hearing this and thinking, okay, Amy, that sounds great. But what on earth does this actually have to do with his discipline? And I'm still not sure I'm a fan. Now, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be holy like he is holy. Now, this is a high calling not to be God, but to be like him, to be separate from the way the rest of the world lives. But that statement of be holy is not an immediate thing. Like, okay, you want to love Jesus? You got to be holy right now. But rather, this is an ongoing process in our lives. And the way that we do this is through God's discipline. Discipline is training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental facilities or moral character. So God initiated this training through the establishment of his law with the Israelite people in the Old Testament. Now, this law is extensive, and truly reading through it can be a chore, because some of it seems like really like obvious and duh, and some of it is super wild and weird, like, did we really need to make a rule for that? Because I seemed that that was pretty... Uh, common sense. But I just have this feeling, and in my own home, you know, there are rules for a reason because someone somewhere tried it, and it probably didn't go well. So the purpose of this law was so that God could dwell with the people of Israel, because he could not be present, in, present with their, when there was sin because he is holy. So the law was established, and sacrificial rituals were performed to meet these requirements because they weren't meant to live like the surrounding people groups. They were called to be different, to live different. So as a result of this different way of living, and God dwelling with them, God repeatedly moved in supernatural and powerful ways on their behalf. They would see a sea split in half for them to cross on dry land, then turn and watch that enemy that was pursuing them 
have that those walls of water crash on them and drown. They would see food literally show up on their doorstep day in and day out. They would see walls fall down as people shouted. They would see enemies thrown into confusion as God fought on their behalf. And there's so much more. This is what happens when we choose to follow Jesus and submit to his discipline in our lives. No, it might not mean if you go to the beach this week that the, you, know, you just walk out and you'll just demand that the waters part and you'll see that happen. But rather, when we choose to follow him and submit to his way and to his discipline, we live differently and we experience life differently, a life called abundant life, because we walk in his ways as he is trustworthy. As I learn to trust God, And understand that the discipline is actually for the benefit of me. That out of his holiness, it's perfect. I don't have to ask why, but rather what am I going to learn from this? Because he's not going to do it because he's a bully and he's up there just like waiting to squish us like ants but, or enjoys messing around with you in your life. But it's truly out of his holiness and that his character of being holy. And so how does God discipline me? Good question. A practical step here is to read the written word of God, the Bible. Shocker, I know. Someone up here once again is having the audacity to say, read your Bible. But truly, this book can be trusted. This is a roadmap to navigating our lives. And I love the way the Apostle Paul talks about God's word to a young church leader named Timothy. He says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So let's just take a second to break this down real quick. All scripture is breathed out by God. What on earth does that mean? It means here that this Bible is not like any other book on your shelf, whether you're an avid reader or not. It's unique. I think about the image of when God created man. You know, he formed him out of the dust and the dirt, And it was just dust and dirt until God took this incredible moment where he breathed his own breath into him. And in that moment, man not only became physically alive, but spiritually alive. And so in the same way, the Spirit of God uses these words on this page to breathe life into us spiritually, to make us alive. And as we read it, you know, we learn from it individually and community. It changes us. It shifts and shapes how we view life. So he says that it's also profitable for teaching. Other translations will say it's useful for teaching. This is the ultimate textbook and guide to life. We can learn about God, who he is. Learn from examples of people who failed miserably and who succeeded. And use those things and those tools to navigate our own lives. He says that it's good for reproof. This isn't a common word that we use anymore, but the root here actually means proof or test. And so we are a people that love to consume. We use the Bible here to test what's true. So even as I stand up here, you should examine every word that I say and line up, does it follow what the Bible teaches and the truth inside of it? We should be doing this with every psalm that we listen to, every book that we read, every podcast, and see if those things line up to what the truth says in the Bible. It's also used for correction. This is something that is less common, I think, nowadays in the church and in the world. So this word actually means restoration to an upright or right state. Now, I almost don't go anywhere now without using my... um, 
Maps app on my phone. And it's not because I'm directionally challenged. I'm actually fairly good at directions, but I'm intense and I want to get there as fast and as efficient as possible. Now, depending on the time of day and the traffic, and maybe if there's an accident, that can, you know, cause problems. So I use it in order to keep me on track. Now, if I take a turn or think, oh, I've got a better way of doing things, I think this will take me a little shorter, quickly my phone will adjust, right, and give me a course correction on how to get back on track. And that's what the Bible does for us in our life, right? It can be easy to get into the day in and the day out, and sometimes we need that moment to get us back on track without even realizing, oh, I thought that was a shortcut. Turns out it wasn't. The Bible's useful for training in righteousness, The Bible trains us to walk integrity, virtue, uprightness, and it corrects our thinking, our feelings, and our actions, especially with feelings, right? Our feelings can so deceive us, but when we read this, it helps bring correction to that. Now, if you were to come into my home, you'd likely get a glimpse of what's happening in my life, and I'm not talking beyond the Lego that's probably covering three quarters of my living room floor. Super dangerous, if you know, you know as a parent. But in my kitchen, we have this large chalkboard in there, and it's often got a verse on it. If you need to use my facilities and go into the bathroom, you'll probably see a sticky note on the mirror with a verse on it as well. Also, there's a shelf in my home, which now as I'm saying this, like this kind of sounds like overkill, but I just, it's my home. I don't know. Um, And there's a letter board on it that will also often have a verse. And all of these things will often be related to what God is teaching me in that time. Or maybe there are verses that I'm clinging and holding on to as a family and as we are experiencing maybe a situation in our lives. And so recently I'm talking about the verse that currently is on my chalkboard at home. Recently, we were having trouble in our home listening. And I know if you have kids, they're likely all perfect, obedient children, right? They listen to everything that you say. But here, we were struggling. And now my husband and Jeremy, who is playing guitar this morning, and I, we were getting extremely frustrated with the lack of listening. And as such, it was turning into speeches and raised voices, just to put it nicely, So I went into the kitchen, I had enough, I was frustrated, and I erased the verse, I don't even remember what was on there previously, I erased the verse on the chalkboard and I put up Colossians 3 verse 20, which says, children, obey your parents in everything, for it pleases the Lord. You can take that one home, mom and dad, yeah, give it a try. (laughs) But I was hoping that this verse would serve as a reminder that not only do we listen to mom and dad because, you know, we said so, but because it pleases the Lord. And this verse brought some correction to our home. However, the verse after caught my attention and I added it as well. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children so that they will not become discouraged. That one caught me for a second. It was a good reminder for me that I needed and that we needed as parents that our frustration, which was turning into these speeches and raised voices, could actually provoke our children and discourage them. So God used these scriptures to teach our kids why obedience was important. And not only that, but that mom and dad also had a responsibility in this. And it brought correction to our family. It trained us in righteousness by reframing our behavior and refocusing us. There was a shift in our family when we started to intentionally implement this. Everyone listened so good. They're like, straight, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. No. Um, When we started working hard on this and and bringing it to the forefront, reminding us over and over again, you know, we still fall short, but it truly was actually a lot better. 
And especially summer when everyone's home and we're overtired and we're running hard, it's a good verse to come back to for us as a family. And so God's word, he changes us and establishes us and establishes that foundation. And it helps equip us to be light in a dark world, to do things a little differently, not let that spiraling happen. But being light in a dark world is a really tough job because God doesn't actually promise that when we choose to walk in his ways, that life is going to be easy. No, Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I think sometimes our suffering and the struggle we experience in this world is actually a part of God's discipline in our lives. And if you're new here, I know that sounds a little strange and maybe a little confusing, but I also know that there are some in this room that can truly testify to living this out and know exactly what I'm talking about, speaking from experience on how God used some suffering or trial in their life to refine them and to discipline them as they pursue God. And yeah, it's often because I do really stupid things and make bad choices. And there are times that God just, just leave me there, but he uses these moments to bring me back to his truth. And so when things get hard, when our faith is put to the test, we can come to these moments where we have a choice. We can choose to cling to God, to the truths in the Bible, all in order to persevere well. For example, when we're treated poorly, we have that choice. We can choose to be angry, to even hate, to gossip, and, do, and find ourselves in that spiral that can maybe temporarily make us feel better, or we can choose forgiveness. We can allow God to be our defender in those situations. And in the midst of all of the mess, we can walk with Jesus and he will help us find rest for our souls. Jesus is guaranteeing trouble is going to come. Hardship will come. It's going to be difficult, but there is hope. Jesus has overcome it all. He promises never to leave or forsake us. He will always be with us. And he gives us an illustration of this when he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, for those of us non-farmers, and I mean really realistically farmers, this isn't a typical thing we use anymore in farming, but that yoke was a a shaped wooden beam that would tie two oxen or horses together in order to prepare a field. And so what they would do is they'd often take this older experienced animal and yoke it with a younger one. And through this, this is how the younger one would be trained. This old experienced animal would understand the instructions, would know what the job is, would know how to plow forward and to be obedient in that. And the younger one, with its strength and its zeal, it would be yoked to that older one and learn to walk and step and understand. And that's what it is like with Jesus. That's how we can experience discipline with God. We walk with him daily. Every single day it's new, step by step, moment by moment. We learn from him how to have that abundant life we're promised. And yes, that yoke can sometimes look like suffering because choosing God's way is never easy. The Apostle Paul actually goes so far as to encourage the early church to rejoice in our sufferings. And how backwards does that sound? Imagine we came up here on Sunday morning, who had a rough week? Praise the Lord, that's awesome. I'm so glad you had a rough week. Maybe we should try that. (laughs) You had a tough time. I'm so happy for you. That's great. But Paul knew what suffering was. You know, he knew that suffering, though, 
suffering with God specifically, it could produce good things in our lives. And James actually echoes this same idea, telling us this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be complete, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Maybe we're starting to see a theme here, and you're thinking, wow, Amy, this is great. Suffering, cool. Kind of bother me out, though. And I hear you. I do. But don't miss that last part that we just read. Let steadfastness have its full effect in order that you may be complete, perfect, and complete, lacking in nothing. There's purpose to our perseverance through difficult things. Our steadfastness and being committed to God's ways, we're called to be disciplined and to persevere well, all in order to allow God to finish the work that he's doing, all in the midst of our suffering and the trial that we're experiencing. And what is the result of this steadfastness? What is the result of letting it have its full effect in our lives? What happens when we persevere well? We are made complete, perfect, lacking in nothing. Kind of sounds like abundant life, doesn't it? Lacking in nothing. So don't bail out when it gets hard. Don't miss the blessing that is on the other side of it. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 to 12 says this. I want to start closing with this. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as the father, the son, in whom he delights. Because discipline and correction from God are actually proof that he not only loves you, but delights in you. Does this maybe at all shift our attitude and our thinking towards discipline, even with it being painful? And perhaps today we can take that first step to maybe liking discipline. All right, Amy, I'll give you a like. I'll like discipline. And eventually, as we continue in it and try it out and see the fruit that it produces in our life, maybe we can find ourselves in that space where we love it, where we do, we, we are excited about it, where we can maybe say, yeah, you know what, I had a hard week, but it was good because God was there with me in it. And I stood and I held on to that word. We can trust him because he is holy. Because he is morally perfect, he cannot sin against you. He will never lead you astray. And because he's transcendent, he relies on no one and nothing. He will not be influenced. He will not be corrupted. His discipline through the Bible and even in our suffering comes out of a deep, deep love that he has for you. It's proof, once again, that he loves you and delights in you and wants and desires the best for you. God uses our discipline not to harm you, not to hurt you, and not even to make you a better version of yourself. But he empowers you to be everything that he thought out, pre-thought out about you, that he has creatively, beautifully, and uniquely made you to be a truly awesome expression of himself, bringing his light through you into a dark and broken world. 
Amy, I want to I want to thank you for for your words this morning. Um, you know, we were talking before the message because I said I, I'm I'm doing the call to action after, and I I would like to understand you know what's your main takeaway. Um, and we we kind of joked. My wife and Amy and I were talking before, and we kind of joked. Amy joked, you know, I, I could have titled it "Don't Be Stupid," as she said in the beginning. And she's, but I'm not sure that would have landed as well. Um, and, and, and then my wife actually joked and said, we could replace those, you know, those what would Jesus do bracelets with a bracelet that just said, don't be stupid. Um, and I'd be snapping that thing all the time, right? That would be really helpful for me throughout the day. But I think what you did instead is you reminded us that, that it's, it's not that simple. It's, it's about trusting God. Um, it's, it's that reminder that, that, as the song said, he's always been God. And what we need to do is put our trust in him. And, and through that, like, like we, we hope with our children, like we hoped as our children with our parents, um, we will begin to like and eventually love discipline because we'll know that it's for us and it's, it's, it's out of God's love for us. Um, there's a line in that song, and I had to write it so I didn't forget it, that just said, this is my pursuit, daily trusting you. And for me, that, that line really struck out because, um, or not struck out, struck me. Um, you know, I can often get to the end of a day and be lying in bed and kind of have a little conversation with God. And, and maybe, maybe for the day, I'm thanking him for the blessings that I have. Uh, maybe I'm expressing some fears that I have. Maybe I'm expressing some frustration that I have over something that happened during the day or that's going on in my life or my marriage or my family um, or my experiences. But I, I often can feel like at that moment, I'm feeling that trust come back. But in the morning, I sometimes forget. And I feel like I'm going through that day constantly in pursuit of that trust. And I'm constantly pursuing it. And here's the great thing. While I'm doing that, God is there the entire time. He is, he is pursuing me harder than I could ever pursue him. And he's doing the same for you. So maybe you're someone today who has never put your trust in God. And maybe you're thinking about it today after hearing God's words through Amy. And, and my prayer is that um, you, you, you pray about that, that you ask God to help you on that journey, help you to trust him. Maybe you're someone whose trust has um, disappeared because of something, not that God did, but maybe someone else did, that, that, that led to a broken trust for you in him. And, and my prayer is that um, you will reach out to God and, and, and be able to trust in him again. Or maybe like me, you're someone who's just pursuing it daily. Maybe you're someone who's, who's kind of got it figured out, and, and that's okay too, right? Maybe you're someone who just feels trust in him every day, and you're going to find new ways moving forward to trust in him and, and new ways to look at that trust. Um, so, so I just encourage you to pray about it, to be thinking about those things of how can you trust God and, and pursue, that, pursue that trust daily. And, and I just ask that, you know, may you, as you go on that walk, may new mercies awaken your soul, as the song mentioned. Okay. Before we close this service, um, I just want to mention a few things. One is, if you're in need of prayer uh, or some quiet time, we have a prayer room downstairs. If you, if you head down the stairs, you'll see it just to the right. You are welcome to use that room after the, after the service as you head down. Um, it's there for you. I'm not sure if we have a host this morning, but, but, oh, we do have a host this morning. Jen will be hosting. Thank you, Jen. So Jen will be hosting there. If you need some prayer, if you want some time just to pray by yourself, or you'd like to pray with Jen or have Jen pray for you, uh, please go and see her in that room downstairs. Uh, 
thank you to those who continue to support Vital Point in our mission through uh, your financial gifts. Uh, you'll notice we don't pass an offering basket on Sunday mornings. We do have an ability to give online, uh, and we continue to thank you to those of you who, who do that faithfully, as well as there's a box just below the stairs that if you wanted to, to, to put uh, uh, a contribution or a gift in that box, you're welcome to do that as well, and we just, we just really appreciate any, any support so we can continue to, the, to, to, to do our work. Um, and as Amy said, this is a place... Uh, that you can feel comfort, that you can feel community, and that you can walk on that, that, that you can go on that walk of trust together. Uh, and then finally, just a reminder that after the service, um, as we're doing every service this summer, our cafe is moving outside, um, and we're having kind of like a little after party. There's some games out there for the kids. There's a chance to just chat, drink coffee, get to know someone new. Um, and, and I'll give you an easy one. If you don't know me, please come and say hi, because then we've already connected to something, some, someone new ourselves, and, and, and we'll, have, we'll have nailed that one off. So please, mingle, get to know each other, and just enjoy the day. Will you pray with me? Father God, come to you this morning and we think of the words that that Amy shared with us and I'm just so grateful that that you are someone that we can place our full trust in. And while it may be scary as we think of uh, discipline and what that means for our lives, um, it is out of your love for us that that discipline exists. And I just, I just thank you that, as, as mentioned in the song, you have always been God. So regardless of where we are at in our lives, where our trust has, has shifted or moved to or from, you have always been God. And we can always come back to you. And you will bring new mercies into our lives. You will lead us with grace and love. And we just thank you for that as we go into this week. Help us to reach out to you and ask for that opportunity for you to discipline us in a way that, that allows us to feel your love and your grace. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. Have a great week, everyone.